0: Hey folks, Rigor here. I just wanted to warn you in advance that this episode of Then Is Now's 13 Days of Hallowtober 2022 is perhaps one of the most controversial and polarizing ones we've had. Not since episode 11, in which my guest co-hosts had strong opinions about the film The Shining that went against what many horror fans think, have we had an episode that might seriously divide people. My guests on today's show are Scott S.A. Bradley and Michael, and we tackle the awesome vampire flick John Carpenter's Vampires from 1998, starring the always cool, James Woods. However, two things happened. Scott brought to the table some extreme and controversial opinions about the film, and I was blindsided, so I wasn't fully prepared to truly discuss any of his points. As you'll hear, it's mostly him giving his opinion of the movie's supposed subtext. Scott Bradley's opinions are his own and do not necessarily reflect that of Then Is Now podcast. And second, Michael was unfamiliar with the movie and watched one of the sequels by accident. He did sit with us, though, and listen to what Scott had to say. After we recorded, Mike Kill went and watched the film for himself and had several counterpoints to Scott's opinions. He came back and we recorded his take on the movie, and that will play after our discussion with Scott. My Kill's opinions are also his own and do not necessarily reflect that of Then Is Now podcast. We'd love to hear your opinions about John Carpenter's vampires and whether or not you agree with Scott or My or have a completely different take on the film. We are not a political show and we do not take sides one way or the other if you email us a polite letter giving us your thoughts we'll read them on the air please send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com thank you and enjoy the show this
1: is paul t taylor and you're listening to the then is now podcast you lucky so-and-sos warning
2: warning
0: Today's episode contains spoilers, so if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you.
2: Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly.
0: Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go
3: deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com.
2: Coffee's so good, (laughs) it's scary.
3: To thirteen days of Hallowtober.
0: <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Then Is Now Podcast's yearly thirteen days of Hallowtober event. I am your host, Rigor. Joining me today is new frequent guest co-host, Michael. What's happening, Michael?
3: Hey, hey, how's it going? Good, Ready good. Ready
0: to talk some more horror. Awesome, awesome. Glad to have you here. And also joining us today, once again, is author and podcaster, S.A. Bradley. What's new, Scott? Hi, thanks for having me again. Uh, looking
1: forward to talking a little bit more horror. I, I never get a chance
3: to do that. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. We are continuing our yearly event called 13 Days of Hallotoba. toba Our theme this year is vampire movies. Today we're going to discuss the film John Carpenter's Vampires, a.k.a. just simply vampires. So grab your snacks and drinks and get ready for a discussion about a fun vampire flick. Class is in session.
1: Forget whatever you've seen in the movies. It's not like they're seducing everybody in sight with cheesy Euro trash accents, all right? They don't turn into bats, crosses don't work. You wanna kill one, you drive a wooden stake right through his heart. We think we got a nest inside this place. The chances are we'll find a master in here somewhere. I know that your parents were bitten by vampires. and You were raised by the church to be its master slayer. No one knows vampires better than he does.
3: My baby. But he met his match when he met the master
0: who started it all. Jack Crow. He was a priest. It's the first known case of vampirism. First and most powerful. You
1: are
3: the only one who faced by the pen and survived. <laughs>
0: Master Vampire has a telepathic link for his victims. You're gonna help us find him. It's
1: a so cross. For 600 years, Valak has wanted to live in the daylight. A master vampire, able to walk in the sun, unstoppable. Biggest net of blood-drinking as the world has ever known. Time to kill some vampires. Get right behind us! Come on. Woods. From the master of terror comes a new breed of evil John Carpenter's vampires. You never told me they could do that? I didn't know they could do that.
0: Jack Crow leads his team of Vatican-sponsored vampire hunters in a daylight raid on an abandoned house in New Mexico. Finding a nest of vampires, the team subdue the creatures with gunfire, pikes, and wooden stakes using a modified crossbow attached to a mechanical winch to pull them outside where they are incinerated by sunlight. Despite disposing of nine goons, Jack is concerned about not having found their older, more powerful master. While the team drunkenly celebrates with prostitutes at a local motel, the master vampire Valak arrives and bites one of the prostitutes, Katrina, initiating her transformation into a vampire. He swiftly murders the hunters, with only Crow and his trusted lieutenant Tony Montoya escaping alive with Katrina. Disturbed that Valak recognized him by name, Crow orders Montoya to lay low with Katrina, hoping to use her growing psychic link with Valak to track him down. After burying his team and burning down the motel, Crow reports to Superior Cardinal Alba, who confirms that Valak was a disgraced priest who led a rebellion against the Church, leading to his execution and transformation into the first vampire. Valak has already killed another group of slayers in Germany, and Alba instructs Crow to form a new team, accompanied by by archivist Father Adam Guito. Is it Guito or Guiteau? Adam Guito? Suspecting that his team was betrayed, Crow interrogates Quito and dispels his heroic notions of vampire hunting, showing him a map of vampire activity that indicates the vampires are searching the southwest for an unknown object. Guiding Katrina at a hotel, Montoya explains the changes she's experiencing. Horrified, she attempts suicide and bites Montoya when he rescues her, which he hides from Crow and Guito when they arrive. Crow decides to pursue Valak without gathering a new team, and Katrina is linked with Valak when he questions and kills a priest. Sensing Guiteau is hiding something, Crow threatens him, recounting that he killed his own father for being bitten by a vampire and killing Jack's mother in front of him. Guiteau reveals that Valak is seeking an ancient relic called the Black Cross of Berziers, and Crow welcomes welcomes him to the team as his new slayer. Using Katrina's psychic link, Jack, Montoya, and Guito learn that Valak has roused seven additional masters. They follow the vampires to a Spanish mission where Valak has slaughtered the monks and seized the cross. Guiteau realizes that Valak plans to complete his own exorcism, making him immune to sunlight and virtually unstoppable. Searching a nearby abandoned town, they suspect at least 30 new goons have been transformed. Guiteau volunteers as bait for the masters, allowing Jack to harpoon them and Montoya to drag them into sunlight with his jeep. While they manage to kill most of his lieutenants, Valak and his undead army overwhelm them at sundown. Crow is captured, Guiteau takes cover, and Montoya and Katrina flee, only for her to fully transform and bite Montoya on the throat, ripping his flesh off before joining Valak. Cardinal Alba reveals himself as Valak's ally. Having grown to fear death, he has agreed to help Valak recreate the original ritual in exchange for becoming a vampire himself. The ritual requires the participation of a priest and the blood and crucifixion of a crusader, Jack. Guiteau kills Alba before he can complete the ritual and holds off the vampire horde by threatening to kill himself and leave Valak without a priest. Montoya and Guiteau rescue Crow as the sun rises and Crow confronts Valak, impaling him with the Berzier's cross and destroying him in daylight. Guiteau and Crow prepare to slay Montoya and Katrina, knowing their transformations are irreversible. However, to repay Montoya's two days of loyalty after being bitten, Crow grants them a two-day head start. As Montoya and Katrina depart, Jack and Guito head off to kill the remaining vampires. Okay, so my first question to you guys before we really get into it is, uh, did you get a little wood while watching this film? Yeah, teak. Yeah. <laughs> my... I feel
2: like what you just described is not the movie I watched.
1: Maybe it wasn't, I
2: don't know. <laughs> James James Woods... Martin Martin?
0: James Woods?
1: No. Oh. <laughs> well, it definitely James Woods is the. the
0: but this pop is John out.
2: Carpenter's Vampires.
0: vampires. Yeah. Yes. It just goes seems to go under the name Vampires. I'm not What's sure the
2: why. one with John Bon Jovi?
1: That's a sequel. Oh.
2: <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Okay. A rip off
1: sequel, yeah.
2: I was just going through my fire stick and I saw John Carpenter presents vampires, da 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 and I just watched it. I didn't I didn't yeah, no I'm useless now. I didn't watch the right movie. So
3: <laughs>
2: Oh
1: dear.
3: Oh man. Oh
2: well. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs>
1: like 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 a
2: couple of little things sounded similar, but I was like, wait a
1: minute. This yeah, is- I was watching your face and I was like going, maybe you didn't get the same feeling at the end or something
3: <laughs> yeah you were
1: good until the seven uh the seven masters started to be talked about and then it was like it. Your, so your carpenter
2: was... directed the first this the one. first yes. one yeah yeah because i was wondering why it was called john carpenter's vampires because the second one is not directed by not Cameron. directed
1: by him at all and right confused.
2: <laughs> but not confused enough to double check i just watched oh. <laughs>
1: <Yeah. laughs> well you you got me now because i've never seen it you know, i saw the uh, john bon jovi was in it i saw that it was not directed by carpenter the only thing i said is oh thank goodness carpenter had enough of a hit that they're ripping it off or doing a sequel to it uh, you it, know he it had, was okay had a hit in a while.
2: It, it, it was entertaining it wasn't wasn't bad it wasn't great but it wasn't bad but I, I feel like a fucking
0: idiot <laughs> That's okay, I remember I watched the wrong movie At least I I I caught it in time I was like We were doing, Scott, we got a oh funny one for Oh my movie. god, the sequel came out in 2002 Oh, okay yeah. like three like years a year
2: I might have caught on Alright, anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: go ahead Well, I was just going to tell Scott what happened you, I was texting you I, oh, One yeah. of the shows we did uh, We did two recordings, one was um I forget what the first one was, but the second one was 30 Days of Night. Okay. And for some reason, I was watching 28 Days Later. And about halfway through, my wife's like, these are zombies. Aren't you supposed to be watching a vampire film? And I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) fuck?
1: I think we've all had that kind of experience or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I I, I had a, a thing where someone was wanting to be on my show. But the way that they talked, I thought I was on their show, that I was guesting on their show. And they sent me a Zoom link. So I'm like, oh, okay, great. They they were just wondering why I hadn't sent one yet. They thought I they were going to be a guest on my show. So we're, we're sitting there. and I'm going, so how do you want to start this? They go, well, however you want to do it. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean. Yeah, and, no. then, and finally, at that moment, when we're ready to record, just go, oh, I thought I was a guest on your show. I'm like, oh fuck well most people don't do that <laughs> but so it was it, it was one of those things where we laughed and then we we went on with the piece but uh it's amazing how easy it is to just you do this you do this to do this and then some kind of weirdness will happen where you just screw it up and i can't remember if i've ever watched the wrong movie but i've certainly missed movies i had that actually for this person who ended up being on the show that thought I was, you know, whatever Uh, they had like 20 movies they wanted to talk about. I'm like, fuck. And then I then I realized it was all about vampires. So it was perfect, you know, that uh, we were that this is being talked about as well, because they wanted to talk about how somewhere along the line, sex disappeared out of uh, vampires. And when that happened, a lot of the metaphors fell apart. And Mm. so it was really interesting talking about that. But I my brain fart was I thought Underworld and Twilight were the same movies.
3: Oh, I was, just uh... like,
1: I was like, oh, so half of them I hadn't seen. I'm like, oh, well, OK, you know, Whoops. so, <laughs> yeah, like I forgot. That's right. They they both have werewolves and vampires, but they are two completely different franchises with two completely different feels. Right. So, you know, it does happen.
0: So, Mike, you want to continue and hang out even if though you haven't seen the film?
1: Sure. <laughs> Maybe there'll be
2: something on the on the periphery that I can comment on. <laughs> you
0: definitely, after this, you got to watch it because James. Wood I got to so watch awesome. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. so awesome. Yeah. So, Scott, what was your first impression? When did you first see this, and what was your first impression?
1: I saw it uh, the day it opened. I think it was October thirtieth of nineteen ninety-eight or nineteen ninety-nine. I can't remember which. It was uh, ninety-eight, and, and I had been waiting for it because you know I was a huge Carpenter fan. I. I was in film school still uh, and uh, a couple of the, a few of the people who actually liked Carpenter, we all decided to go together. And so watching it, uh, I had so much anticipation for it. And when I watched it, uh, I was like, oh, this is frigging amazing. And I was like, this movie is, uh, I love what they're doing here. But I also realized after watching it that with the people that I went with, we saw two, three different movies. So it's a really interesting film and how it works because it played, it's very edgy, shall we say. I'm going to talk quite a bit about this. I'm going to be very, very frank about where I am now with vampires because I have recommended this movie for almost two decades or two decades. And I've championed this film when most people hadn't seen it, but uh, I had uh, friends with different backgrounds with different, belief systems and everybody had a different feel about this movie and so uh i was kind of like wow i can't believe that person walked away with that feeling about this movie but i was looking at it in this really interesting way that it was like an ultimate john carpenter anti-hero movie uh and where this is not snake plissken right we're supposed to sympathize with snake plissken we're not supposed to sympathize with this guy You know, uh, Jack Crow is working for the man. You know, it's a really interesting thing because John Carpenter is pretty much known for iconoclastic characters. He's known for outsiders. He's known for nihilistic stuff. Uh, He's known for antiheroes. But most of the time, those antiheroes are fighting against the system. They're fighting against the, the people who are in charge. This, he works for them. Right. And, and he gets betrayed by him, but he's, he's, he's part of the problem. If you look at what uh, John Carpenter said about the movie, he said, you know, I have the guys dressed up as they're supposed to be con- part conquistador, part crusader. And the thing that really sold me about this movie is that it's a very complex thing about the Old West, done modern but with vampires. So it's like the searchers uh, in the thing where John Chance, you don't know if he's a psycho or not. You know, he's he's right. uh, going for the new world, but he's killing. He has absolute total hatred for the Indians and his daughter, not his daughter's niece, I think. It was the niece. Gets, yeah. Yeah. Niece gets captured. Natalie Wood. And so the whole movie is him going to go kill all these people to get her. And when he gets her, there is a moment when you believe because she's been, quote, unquote, dances with wolves. You know, she's indoctrinated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's. He might kill her. We have a moment there when John Ford makes us go, he might kill her. John Chance doesn't, Jack Crow will. Right. And so there's a very interesting piece in this movie where what I really got out of it was you know, if you look at the camera angles and stuff like that, that's in there uh, from the very beginning, you're watching a slaughter uh genocide of these vampires now they're not human right Right. but they're stand-ins and so you're getting this real feeling about this movie's kind of like about canola uh, colonialism before that became like a really big thing to talk about because carpenter you know he's always had the the uh women who are uh howard hawk's women powerful right they're, they'll slug it out with this one no there is none right there's there's someone who's it's like so antithesis of things a carpenter normally does. And when I first saw it, I was like, "Going, oh man, this is amazing!" But the guy that was next to me goes, "His whole thing was, I was really glad to see it. They had Mexicans as the as the vampires. It's always the white guy's the bad guy." And I'm like, "Fuck, that's what you got out of this movie?" <laughs> and and uh, you know, and I was like, "You're kidding." That's what, and I started to realize, "Oh, this movie's treading in dangerous water." Uh, even then. It was edgy for its time. I mean, this is the same guy that did They Live, right? This is the same guy that did all these things. But this movie really struck the ire of people hmm. and because it's misogynistic. And uh, you can sit there and you can go, well, it's intentionally misogynistic. But then that's the thing that's interesting about watching it la- uh, this past week. And I'll talk more about what happened with me on another show talking about this movie. Because... I recognize that this has not aged well. And if your metaphor and your a- uh, allegory cannot stand a test of time, it doesn't matter if it was intentionally poking fingers at that kind of thing, it, if it's now only seen as that kind of thing. And that's an interesting point that happens with this film that I was really shocked watching it. I was like, fuck, it's still there, the stuff that I liked. But there is this thing that I can't ignore Now that I've been talking with people who had never seen it, I recommended it to them. (laughs) And they're like, you recommended this to me. I watched it because you recommended it to me. But I must tell you, I was ready to turn it off after the 15 minute mark. Uh, this was not the John Carpenter that I knew. Where, what happened here? Hmm. And so it's really interesting. I think it's going to be an interesting show because I wanted to de- deconstruct this where I went with it. But when I first saw it, which is the original question, I thought it was fantastic. My wife thought it was fantastic. We watched it every year for Halloween because it was <laughs> one that we could get together with because it's very much a Peck and Paw like Western. It's certainly not an old fashioned Western. It's a modern Western, uh, and it's about the brutality of making the West and what is lost. And it's really very overt. Once you start looking at it as uh, about colonialism and that they're conquistadors or crusaders, they are basically killing people while they sleep. But before they go and do that, they have to sit and pray, you know, because they have a figurehead. Of a church that's making this all uh, land that's actually theirs. They're going to defend that land, and so it's really intriguing to watch how Carpenter even shoots this stuff. There's there's sequences in the very beginning, this great opening sequence. There's this fantastic fight in a barn, right. but we're you know if this is supposed to be the heroes, there's no hero music when they're they don't just kill them. They stab him a hundred times. There's sticks hanging out of him everywhere. They have to pull him outside, let him blow up in flames, right? This is the only way you can get rid of a a vampire, even though he's cutting off heads of the white guys later. He's not blowing them up. (laughs) But there's this whole deal of where there's a sequence where there's a point of view camera. They're dragging one of the vampires out. And all of our heroes, right, our slayers are looking down out of the shadow shadowy faces looking at us as the vampire going, have a nice barbecue, sweetheart. And we're hearing them screaming. There's a sequence where we're seeing shots of a bucolic farmland with this farmhouse on it, a pond. In the background, we're hearing this dirge kind of music, this very tense music, and we hear the screams. We're not hearing no heavy metal guitar music, nothing that you normally would have in a heroic act. Instead, we are seeing, you know, this thing of people screaming. There's a thresher in the foreground, a wheat thresher, the reaper, right? So you just get Uh, this whole idea. He's just tearing the shit out of the place. And at the end, they kill all these these nine goons, as they call them. Won't call them humans. You know, and Woods is hilarious, but he's thoroughly nihilistic. He's a total misogynist. He hates everyone equally. That's the old hiding place for that. But the reality is he's special mean to women, right? He has, uh, he has three minutes in the movie where he's really mean to men. And then he's got 45 minutes where he's really mean to women. <laughs> so maybe the scale's not exactly the same. And how he's mean to them is a little bit different. But uh, what we get is the th- nine bodies are there. They're making jokes. They actually have a scene where they're killing these people. And they show Montoya, who is one of the bald ones, right. outside with a headphone going, like he's yeah. filling his tank with gas, right? <laughs> We're, we're supposed to see these people as heartless, right? We're not supposed to see these as heroes. We are supposed to be conflicted. That's how I looked at the, at the movie Vampires. And I was so jazzed by that. Because this was a right around the time of Fight Club and stuff like that. We're getting these anti-heroes that are really hard to like. And I thought that was really cool because we went through this time in the 80s where we had heroes that were really anti-heroes that we just kind of fudged some of the background that they were really heroes. Well, I had to do it because they, you know, they killed my whole family, that you know, the t- price of meat went up, whatever it might be. There was a reason he was able to do that. <laughs> and so I loved that there was consequence that was starting to happen in these horror movies and action films and so i saw uh carpenter as really going at that because he was not uh a fan of reagan he was not a fan of a a conservative mentality but he certainly is not someone that you go as you know he's he's not oliver stone you know he's he's got this interesting i'm kind of an outsider kind of view on things so i was totally into this movie and uh watching it again though it is one of those things where can you uh, it doesn't age well it doesn't age well now that we have spent time learning a little bit about how we had blind spots. After 20 years I can say I have some blind spots. And I saw that while I was watching this movie and there were moments that I was like going, yeah, that's kind of hard to that that's hard to explain away, you know. And hmm. it happened because I was talking to a woman filmmaker who respects my opinion greatly and watched this movie only because Uh, I said that she should watch it. She's like, Scott, we have to talk about this. She goes, I watched Blade. And these two movies are made at the same time. And Blade is really sexist too, which is really disappointing because it does so much about race. But then it has a blind spot for women. And it's really rude about how it deals with women. He goes, yes, I'm a woman, so I'm going to notice more. But let me tell you that there's moments in this movie that I was uncomfortable in how I felt the actress must have felt because of how she was being treated in this movie. And I'm like sitting there going, well, shit, Uh, he's doing that for a purpose because she's no longer human. This is really talking about how we turn people into things that we can kill by turning them into bad guys. And that's what it's really talking about. And she's like, yeah, but you also realize that he's also kicking a woman down the street. Yeah, And he's kicking a woman down the street. And by the way, he's kicking a woman down the street. So you're telling me that I need to be okay with that because you're a guy who has this metaphor from 1998. And it was like, you're right. Why am I arguing with you about this? That's crazy. Even if I was right at that time, it was never right. Because let's put it this way. It was not John Carpenter's vampires and in the trailer, they're showing him kicking her down the road and calling her all sorts of fucking names. No, that's just the flavoring that's in the movie. What we show is good and evil, obvious, real easy, good and evil in the trailer. And so that is a thing that was happening, but it was never right. Hmm. And even if he was commenting on it, if it's no longer, if your comment is so spot on that no one can tell the difference, perhaps that's not great. And so it really did temper me uh, in this viewing. I was stunned because I have uh, championed this motherfucking film uh, <laughs> around horror fans who are like, uh, I think it's it's great for the first 20 minutes and then it's boring as shit. And there's some truth to that, too, that it's obvious that they ran out of money. It's obvious uh, like this movie had two thirds of its budget was cut.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, right before they started. And I think part of that is because wow. when it was first coming out, uh, it had been around for a while, and Russell Mulcahy he was the director, and it was supposed to be a futuristic movie, where vampires are everywhere, and the uh, slayers were more like a police force, that there was a bunch of them around. Whereas uh, I think what happens is Carpenter goes, well, you know, shit, I can make this as a western. They go, well, nobody's going to see that. And they cut it. You know, we were looking for another blade, man. You know, blades coming out, right? You want to go and do a western? Well, fuck you. You get a third of what right. we're going to give. the It was supposed to, to be sixty
0: million. They gave him twenty million.
1: They gave him twenty million. So that's still a pretty. You, know, Catherine Bigelow. Uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, or whatever. Uh, that movie, five million dollars, looks fantastic. Uh, you know, Gun Carpenter's Vampires. You can see the scenes and in some scenes. Literally, see the scenes. There's hmm. a there's a, a spot where uh, the vampire there's this murder that happens this massacre inside of a hotel and there's a sequence where he punches through a guy to grab another guy which looks awesome until you realize that you can see the scotch tape that they taped the fucking hole to the body <laughs> part and it pops right up into the screen you're like oh my god when i saw it in the movie theater it's 50 feet right, right. i'm like oh no, i can't believe he has that in here you know you know carpenters usually really good about if nothing else making sure things match and uh, so anyway uh the thing that was interesting about this was how much i fought for this movie and i still i still believe that uh there's greatness inside of this story about colonialism i do believe that he was trying to do uh, a little bit of uh, uh peck and paw and so he was going down this this grittier Darker road. I think he felt like he was being very brave in that way. And in, in a commentary, he talks about being edgy, even for the times uh, that he wanted to push on the very edges of what people were normally allowing to be respectable. There's, I, I wrote so much shit about. Oh, I have note after note after note <laughs> that I love. And note after note that I, I was like, damn, I can't believe that, that I didn't notice that. I mean, the vampire slayers are grim. They're amoral. The movie is all about amorality in that way. There's amorality in the idea of uh, divine. What's that called? Eminent domain. You know, the idea of what was being done for the land here. All uh,
0: right, I might have to stop you there for a second because I disagree yeah. with you on that point. First of all, I didn't get any colonialism out of this. What this viewing? You know, I saw this when it first came out, too, and I liked it. Um, I had the feeling that the word misogyny was going to come up. But, you know, as you said, they're monsters. They are no longer human. So in that regard, you know, his characters don't treat them like humans anymore. But I don't understand the colonialism thing because the vampires didn't rule the land and we took it over from them. They're demons that infiltrated our world. It's the reverse.
1: Right. Well, are we going to be literal now or are we going to start talking about allegory and metaphor? Because we're going to talk literal. The church also doesn't have vampire slayers and there aren't really vampires.
0: Right. We're going
1: to talk allegory and metaphor. It doesn't have to be that. Like, what do they say in that movie? We know there's vampires. Other people don't. We also know there's a God, but we don't understand him. So you're going on the idea that vampires didn't rule the world, but we don't know that. We know that Valak was turned into a vampire from a reverse exorcism, whatever that means. But my thing is he is setting this up as cowboy in India, and he is setting it up as Indian gets massacred by guys that are coming across who are working on the idea that this is for God. And God is corrupt if it's done in the way of the church. The church actually betrays the guy. So the whole movie is vampires, if you want to look at it as vampires. But there's even scenes where Valix walking and his cape is cut in the back, so that his it looks like he's wearing chaps as the wind blows his oh, legs yeah. yeah. <laughs> up against the thing. He's the bad, you know, the, the, the black hatted bad guy coming right. in. But you have this whole thing of, you know, what it's in the Southwest. Why is it in the Southwest? Could have been anywhere, right? It's in the Southwest. They're brown. They're getting killed. And you've got these guys who are wearing this conquistador gear gear that is working on it. So when I was watching, I was going, why am I? Why am I feeling edgy about these guys? Why am I worried about these guys? And the idea that, you know, they're no longer humans, like, tag, you're it. Now I can, uh, now the metaphor is completely different uh, because you're now a monster. So I'm going to be able to beat up a woman and say, Look, it's it's a monster. I'm, uh, it's not Sherilyn Fenn. I'm telling you, it's not Sherilyn Fenn. It's now a vampire Sherilyn Fenn. You know, we've even changed her blood type for you. No, it's still (laughs) this fucking thing, right? It's, uh, why did he do it that way, right? Why didn't he have them turn gray or purple or have red eyes or big fangs that are always showing? No, he makes absolutely sure in the broad daylight, which you normally don't see vampires in, a beautiful woman who looks like she's sick getting kicked in her ass down the street, right? So he's trying to get us to feel very uncomfortable at that moment. Hmm. There's an exit ramp that says, "Well, he—they're monsters." Sure, but I don't think that that's—I uh, I mean, yeah.
3: If, if
0: I get the impression though that we're reading a little bit too much into it than what Carpenter had, because here's one thing I pulled from the web. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, I—it's on the web, so it must be true. But this—I thought this was interesting. He said. He um he had a bunch of other guys he wanted to be, but he ended up with James Woods, and he wanted James mm-hmm. Woods because he—oh, hold on. He wanted James Woods like because—huh?
1: He, he never has been in that kind of role before. Right. He's always
0: a bad and, guy. Yeah, James Woods wanted to do a horror movie, but he also said the Vampire Slayer—he wanted the Vampire Slayer to be as savage as the prey he's after, a guy who's right. just as menacing as the vampires. James mm-hmm. Woods is the kind of guy that you would believe could and would chew the leg off a vampire. So I I don't have a problem with his character. I think that's exactly what they needed to fight the vampires.
1: Yeah, I that changes nothing that we've talked about at all. <laughs> it's exactly true, right? It hasn't changed a damn thing. Yeah, that's yes, I agree. <laughs> and yet the problem is he kicks a woman down the street. Uh, they call her all sorts of names. They actually sit her and uh, make her naked on a bed, right? And then uh, Ben Montoya says, "I cleaned you up. I helped you out." I tied you to the bed, but I saved your ass. Like, okay, then it's all good, right? Three out of four, it must all all be good, right? The thing is, this is a a set of ideas that show up in the movie, right? And those are set in the the movies to be sexual in certain ways. And in movies, uh, this is something that was brought up to me. She goes, you know, there was a spate where if you watch it, There's this moment in time, and I do believe that horror, whether we like it or not, whether it's conscious or not, it is talking about what's going on around us because it's supposed to get a rise out of us one way or the other, even with slashers. When people are sitting there saying, well, it's very violent against women. Well, it was violent against women. They go, yeah, the guy in a wheelchair got killed. Yeah, the guy in a wheelchair goes around a corner and gets hit in the head with an axe. The woman's going, ah, 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 in between a guy's legs with a fucking blade going back and forth. There's a little bit of a fucking difference there. But not only that, the idea is I'm okay with that because it is also political, right? When you're sitting there saying, I dislike that you're doing this, what did the guys that made Slash do? They doubled down. They made them twice as nasty, you know. So it is a point being made, even if the point seems simplistic. You're talking about what's going on. We got fucking saw and hostile like a year after Abu Ghraib. There's no fucking coincidence there. You know, there we're basically having the government say, Well, we have to have some court cases and talk about whether this is really torture or not. Well, we have pictures of people. You know, the world's fascinated on whether or not we're going to say it's torture or not. And the next year we have torture porn. Or uh, The biggest thing that's going on is people on chairs tied up. Yeah. Does it mean that uh, that's specifically political? No, it's always going to have this kind of thing, consciously or unconsciously, because horror needs to know what freaks us out what bothers us what irritates us that's what sells tickets that's what exploitation has always been about doesn't necessarily mean it's always a good mirror doesn't mean it always makes us look good but it also doesn't mean that at many times it's not making a very interesting comment so one of the things that this woman was talking to me about when i was on this show was uh did you realize that monica lewinsky uh, there was this whole thing about monica lewinsky right about then and overnight women became the brunt of all these jokes, uh, untrustworthy. And there started to be extra violence in the movies around women at that point. And I was like, well, and she named a few, including blade. And I was like, "Going, I can argue with you, but does it really make sense for me to argue because I'm not hypersensitive to it. I'm not even sensitive to it until it's brought up to me as a, as a person who loves horror movies, I think a horror movie can take the slings and arrows. And it doesn't make me any worse or better. When I'm looking at these things, I think it still has a lot of value. I think it's still uh, got a lot of excellent points. But I also do not apologize for it. I don't apologize for where we were culturally. Like I said, this was uh, that kind of acting uh, or not acting. Those actions that are in that movie, they're never good. Doc Crow is not someone you want to spend time on a bus with. You're right. not going to let your your daughter sit next to him. You know, no. We know he's not a good person in that way. We're entertained by him because in comedy, we love to watch people uh, do things that we would never get away with. And in horror, we want to see people in situations we never want to be in. And so that is a vicarious way to look at it. But to, to you know, say that it's not misogynist because of the times. No, it was never good. It's never good. No, I'm not
0: saying tough. that, you know, I try not to get political on the show. In fact, I never get political on the show. Um, I'm sorry. I don't like to offer an opinion one way or the other, but I I do like to remind people. Like I was doing on um, my other show, the Cult, Cult Movie Lounge, we were talking about a film called The Mercenary, by Sergio Corbucci, and starred Franco Nero, and he was a Polish character, and his n- nickname that people called him was the Polak, and mm-hmm. you know I had to remind. My co-host, that because he was like, "Oh well, we can't really say that. We can't really say." That. I said, "It's it's in writing. It's the name of his character." I said, "People need to understand when they watch older films, they have to understand the context of the time in which they were made." And to your point, it doesn't mean it's right or wrong, or it's good or bad. It's just you have to understand the mentality from when they were coming from. And if you can do that, then you can continue to enjoy or discuss the film. You know
1: sure well there's context right now we're in context i have not gotten out of the context for one second you know we get to still talk about it see my thing is we have a tendency to do an all or nothing we either sit there and we say this is all about this kind of thing or it doesn't exist at all like we shouldn't talk about like you should say well, his name is the Pollock. The Pollock's kind of offensive, but at this point, it was he was called the Pollock. Right. You know, and that's how. You, and you may never say the, the character's title again. You don't apologize for it. You don't hide it. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think is important. I believe in and statements now because you know what? Or statements got me. Or statements got me Weinstein. Or, uh, or statements got me. You know, all these fucking guys that get away with all this shit. You know, that's what I got for saying I can separate the art from the artist. All it did was make them more brazen. All it did was get them, uh, you know, all these people are hurt. It's like when people sit there and go, you know, the great movies that uh, uh, Polanski did. And I love Polanski and I own Polanski movies. How I learned to live with that is that anytime anybody wants to tell me what a rapist he is, I listen. Because he is. And then he also made these movies. So I get both. I need to be able to be man enough in my world to do both and accept both. You know, I don't hide. I don't pretend to make other people think that what they're thinking, because they think it feels terrible that they're wrong. They're not wrong if I'm not wrong. So uh, my thing is, you know, the the idea is that we, we still have to grab onto it. So this movie has a lot of stuff in it that is just wrong yet for this character. It's a truly intriguing piece, right? Yeah. It is a dark and nasty and violent thing. And to me, Because I grew up with Popeye Doyle and stuff like that. I mean, that's another thing that's really important. You have to look at do you think Popeye Doyle is a hero? Yeah. Do you think Travis Bickle was a hero? Yeah. Or were they anti heroes? Were they somebody that did something really interesting, but also were cautionary tales? We also have to remember that we're dealing in horror movies, right? And I also say that uh, Taxi Driver and uh, movies like French Connection, even though that's based on a true story, the way that they tell that story is a horror movie universe. Dirty Harry is a horror movie universe. Nothing works, including the fire department. The fire department doesn't even know how to, how to save somebody who's going to try and jump off of a building. Good old <laughs> Harry has to go up on the ladder because the world's broken, right? Why does the entire world have to be broken? Because that's the only way... Dirty Harry makes enough sense that you're going to allow him to break his own laws to take the person down. He is a wish fulfillment. There's nothing wrong with wish fulfillment as long as we recognize that. Hmm. And that's why sometimes those movies are a little bit scary because you'd have people who are like, I want to be Paul Kersey from Death Wish. Well, you shouldn't really want to be Paul Kersey from Death Wish. First off, your wife has to get raped. Your daughter has to commit suicide. (laughs) These are not good starts. (laughs) So with that, that's the kind of person I can still – respect this movie and love the character or like the character or appreciate the movie for what it is. Right. But these are the things that I see. And so I own all of it because I don't apologize for bad behavior.
0: Right. Well, that being said, it's, this is based on a novel. So I'm curious to know, yeah. I know that Carpenter just, it went through a lot of changes and scripts and yeah. stuff. How much of the novel is in the movie? Do you know?
1: Uh, quite a, no, I shouldn't say quite a bit. Uh, the author says all my dialogues in there, none of the uh, the plot. <laughs> <There's> the plot. <laughs> so, so basically, the 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 book is more of like uh, I mean, the name of it is "Vampires of the Dollar Sign," right, right? Yes. So it's really going all out on the idea of this is. I don't know if eminent domain is the right way to say it, but this is a group of people coming out of Monterey. They have like this big palace and everything like that. And they're very much an organization that's across the globe. You kind of get that in a very quick moment when he goes back to see Maximilian Schell, who's yeah. the bishop, you know, the cardinal. He talks about uh, the um, uh, the other groups, the, the cells that are, that are killed. Well, uh, in there, Jack Crow is not as mean not nearly as mean uh he he's a businessman right and what happens is he finds out that his business is crooked yeah so that part is where it's still in the movie but the changes that have happened i think there's like three four different writers yeah. i think uh, carpenter did one ghost that he didn't have his name on it uh there were two other versions that were out there that went in two completely different directions he took pieces from here pieces from here and all that and gave one guy the credit and so i, I don't know i forget what the the writer's don, don jacoby yeah yeah who also so wrote I don't...
0: life force and death wish 3
1: <laughs> oh my god well life force <laughs> holy cow there's one i i I have a feeling Don is used to not seeing his words actually on the screen because <laughs> life force is, that's just a madhouse. I love that movie too. Yeah. And that's another way, you know, there's all sorts of crazy in that, that I love. but this, uh, I, I loved, I love the, 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 the dirt of it. You know, I, I love the, the grunginess of the movie. I love the, the, the nastiness of it. And yet, I have to also say, you know, man, it was hard to watch a lot of this stuff, knowing what I know now. You know, I can't say that I haven't learned a few lessons over the last 20 years. And so uh, uh, watching it, it was uh, somewhat uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable uh, hearing uh, some of the audio commentary, which I love that audio commentary. But uh, carpenter lets a few things slip that are like oh boy that's unfortunate i'll bet he wishes he could erase that because it's it's just stuff that uh, is somewhat demeaning of the actors that are on there
3: oh, interesting. Uh,
1: but, but not demeaning like insult uh, objectifying that's what i should huh. say he, he unfortunately objectifies at a certain point that i was like Oh dude maybe if I didn't have that conversation with that person that I had, I wouldn't have noticed that as obviously, but yeah, it's kind of an apology that shouldn't be there. Hmm. You know, it's uh, one of the things that the the movie had uh, happening a lot, where he says a lot of people say that the violence is excessive, but we're saying that monsters are really excessive. and I I get that. I completely get that. But if you're making them look exactly like human beings, you're begging for me to make that comparison, right? right? We're getting that energy for a reason. You know, like when we, uh, we were talking about Near Dark. I don't like when it's a vampire kid was mentioned. Mm. Why? Well, they can be little vampires, but it's a kid, right? So mentally, it's troubling. It's like in Dawn of the Dead, where two zombies who are children come at Canfori, and he throws them down, and he guns them down with an M-16. And he said that that really hurt him to do. Now yeah, it was a scene that bothered him a lot because it's children. That imagery is there for a purpose. And something that Romero always said was that his zombies look like zombies or like people for two reasons. One, super cheap, <laughs> which is <laughs> certainly going to work for you. But number two is they are us. Right. You're supposed to be conflicted. We are the walking dead. Yeah. And so uh, that is a, a, an interesting way to look at it. So uh, I can't, I can't uh fault anybody who would watch this movie and go, I how could you like this character? Yeah. How could you <laughs> like him?
2: Yeah. Um sometimes, yeah. You you used the word subtext uh, a few mm-hmm. minutes ago and that's you know, there's always interpretations and levels to sure. things that like I don't even notice half the time the first time I watch it. And then you know so sometimes somebody else will point it out but you said that you had you've watched this movie um many many times you, yeah. your wife used to watch it every halloween yeah when how, out of all those times it a lot of the stuff never bothered you and then it was like re, within the last couple of years or recently yeah it was that... it was
1: just this last viewing really oh okay. it was it was where i I hadn't watched it for years. I had it on in the background during Halloween. You know, you get busy at Halloween, i put it in another movie, ah, vampires, I'd see the first couple of minutes and and be done, you know? And then I would, uh, but I watched it, we probably watched it religiously for 10 years on Halloween, you know? And the whole thing was, is that I was able to accept it on that level, no problem. Easy to forget when everybody else is agreeing with you, right, Mm -hmm. everybody agreed, you know, this is it. And the people who didn't were, Politically correct assholes or whatever, <laughs> you know, something I could do to make them wrong and me not. And so, uh you know, to me it was just like, yeah uh, you have uh, sense of humor, you don't. No, that's not true at all. That's that's real cop out. But the thing is, is that that's kind of where I went with this movie I was, because I'm looking at the history of Carpenter's films and what he's done. And he's had all these strong women characters that are in these movies where they don't get help. You know, uh, the fog, Adrian Barbeau in the fog has to fend right. everything off herself uh assault on precinct 13 uh the secretary that's in there has to fend for herself she has her own gun all these movies have these strong women it's missing in this film right right it's not there i did there notice is that. no
0: we're watching it yeah, this time around
1: no Hawking strong woman uh and he's he's not punching up it's the first time he's not punching up It's always the man, fuck the man. You know, Snake Plissken destroys the universe, takes the satellites out because fuck the man. Fuck (laughs) the man's uh, screwing everybody up. It's corrupting everybody. Fuck the rich, you know, he's always that. This time it's, well, monsters, but he's working for the church (laughs) they seem to be taken care of and you've got these people who the way that he makes them look they're just savages and that's one of the words that he uses a lot and it's brought up a lot savages which john ford used right but john ford back then was commenting that john t chance was walking on very 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 shaky ground he was like i've read that uh you know um who was it? Bogdanovich talked about that, where it's like this might have been like the first psycho movie, like the first uh, Death Wish kind of film is The Searchers, where he is completely. You're not supposed to like that when someone is so obsessed that they become, well, they're the perfect killing machine. It's the killing machine we need. OK, so we should be looking at ourselves, right? We don't just go, <laughs> well, that's it. We got a killing machine. Good to have one. Yeah, because everybody's got one. Well, great. But what does that say? You know, are we artists or are we politicians, right? So uh, to me, it is something to take a look at. And so uh, I thought that uh, it's really interesting watching it because uh, my whole thing all these years has been, you know, like Barry Bonds hitting home runs. It's like, yeah, Barry Bonds is a great home run hitter, uh, but I wouldn't want to take a long bus ride with him. I think he's a jerk, right? Uh, that's, that's, you know, just a thing, right? So uh, I look at uh, the people on Crow's team, and I love how they set up like Red River. So Red River is another John Ford movie right, yes. where these two guys who are cohorts and they have rules of the land, right? They have to follow these rules. And so the end of the movie is one betrays the other and he gives them the head start that is in this movie as well, that Montoya gets right, uh, yeah. thing. But um, what I think is funny in this movie is that Crow has all these rules, rule number three, rule number yeah. He doesn't He doesn't follow one. He never follows one of his rules. You know, he, he just says them. He's stating them for other people. But it's for other people, not for right, him. Right. He gets to walk as King Kongs all across this world. Jolly green giants walking this earth, you know, uh, <laughs> from, from uh, Full Metal Jacket. So it's interesting. You can watch this as a very cool, like, I love Taxi Driver.
3: Yeah. Do oh, I yeah. think
1: that Travis Pickles is a hero? No, that's not a hero. <laughs> He does an interesting heroic thing, which makes it a complicated story, which is what's interesting. What used to be so great about the 70s was that you would have these things where you didn't try to hide, you know, moral obligations. You would just sit there and have this madness happen. And that's how I felt about Jack Crow. This is not a good guy. You know, this is someone who does the right thing towards the end. Once he finds out that he's been working for bad guys the whole time, setting them up. Yeah, you know, uh, everything that this church was all about—he, he, uh, the the bishop betrays, or the cardinal betrays, because he's getting old now. Now it matters to him. Right. right? Yeah. Now that it's actually affecting him, now it's a fucking problem. And so that is—I uh, I still appreciate this film, but I see it in a totally different light, which makes me not want to just randomly, as I did. I recommend it recommend it, because I recommended it on the idea of this anti-hero Western with vampires as Indians, but not taking it like the cowboy is the good guy. That is complicated. And that there's this whole thing about how it's being shown in the film language that Carpenter is using that tells me we're not supposed to like this guy, You know hmm. that he needs redemption there are times when he just randomly looks over at a cross hanging, right? He doesn't, he believes in God, but he doesn't believe in the institution that he's working for. He's in this constant crisis of faith. He's had his family killed, uh, because somebody hid the fact that they were a vampire, and ended up killing his family. So he has a real hatred for this woman doesn't see her anymore as a woman. She's now a vampire, right. But again that's where it gets sticky right because he's also not really good to police officers he's certainly not good to bodyguards doesn't like the priests you know <laughs> so there's the shit out of that one priest. yeah kicks the priest uh, in, the kicks whole the, movie. in fact that's the funny thing he's like the if you believe in betas i don't know if i believe in alpha males and beta males but uh yeah he's a beta male right the the priest until yeah. he shows that he's a man and he can kick ass like anything else. He gets the shit kicked out of him. He's a whimperer. He's got these little glasses to make him a yeah. little cute, you know. <laughs> so, you know, there's all this stuff that uh makes him an unlikable character, but he's a fascinating character. And there's the difference, right? Not likable. I don't have to apologize for a fascinating character. The world's full of complicated people that are still worth talking about. And that's where I put uh, Jack Crow as a uh, uh, as a character in a movie that is problematic and yet still a fascinating look at uh, a way to look at horror and Westerns blending together.
0: Right, right. I mean, I loved the whole sequence at the beginning when they're you know, they're the whole just in my mind, just to see a cool team of vampire killers going into a nest to first of all. Why didn't they just burn the house down? Why do they have to go in one by one? Secondly, why aren't they wearing... Where's my fingers? Oh, it's not a video anyways. Uh, Secondly, why aren't they wearing... (laughs) (laughs) Why aren't they wearing leather armor and neck protection? At one point, I think they give the priest that neck thing. But that should be standard issue for what they're doing. Well, they they do have it. The one who doesn't, because he's too cool and too tough,
1: is James Woods. James Woods, yeah. He He doesn't wear it. He's in the front. And he's the one who doesn't need it, right? But everybody else, you know, they have the little uh, chain oh, okay. mail and stuff. Okay,
0: I didn't notice that they, they all yeah. have the neck. So
1: they have that stuff, and they have, you know, there's, I mean, it's something that Carpenter says in the audio commentary. He said he wanted to make them part conquistador and part um, the other thing. I have it written here somewhere man i have way too many notes about this movie but <laughs> i think so much of my 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 feelings about it because it's right. been in my life forever carpenter is my favorite director of all uh so park Crusader, park crusader Oh, so okay. he was going for this whole thing of we have spears. Why do we have spears? Because that feels medieval. It also feels like it could be a religious one of those things called where they have the cross on top. Of oh it. yeah. He goes. He's he was always blending the idea of what conquistador and crusader, right? Not knights. <laughs> he said conquistador, hmm. crusader. <laughs> yeah. These are invaders. So uh, you know, there's that whole thing that he was trying to go for, and I think it's there for the big betrayal. Right. It's there right. for the big betrayal. You're you're on the side of right. You can do anything under righteousness. And then you find out you're on the wrong side. You're the bad guy. That's a very interesting place to put a character.
0: Right. Right. And one thing I liked was that Carpenter had a deal with um, James Woods, who really wanted to improvise. He's <laughs> yeah. like, He's like, just do do the lines as they are. And then I'll let you improvise. And yep. when he wanted him to be, you know, more focused and disciplined, he would use the take that went by the script verbatim.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he sure. had uh, he had himself a, a real time with, uh, with him and I, I think there's so much that's cool about low budget filmmaking that they're doing in this movie and it's uh, it's interesting it's the first time that he's using a cinematographer other than uh, or is it the second time? It's the second time I think don't uh, they live was also Gary Kibby but he had predominantly excuse me uh, used uh, um, oh my goodness, Dean Cundy for most of his films. And so he was using a new uh, guy for uh, cinematography. And he was using new music as well. So up till then, it's Alan Haworth. And then he breaks from Alan Haworth. And I think this is when you start really getting... The, the soundtrack gets a little repetitive It gets very bluesy mm. it happened in they live and it happened in there that there's just how has this thing where he i think he opens it up just a little bit more it's not terrible but it is something that i noticed uh especially watching this time around that that soundtrack uh doesn't open up like uh say when we're listening to near dark and you have tangerine dream just has this really and and it's funny because tangerine dream is kind of like uh, or carpenter is kind of like tangerine dream depending upon which way you want to look at it they have that very uh ethereal uh keyboard driven piece that usually works in their stuff right but uh, you know but i love what he did oh, low budget wise he's uh tight and lean uh made sets when he needed to make sets was on location when he needed to do locations uh the location of the barn in the very beginning of the movie was from an italian uh cowboy movie that was made there and they just redressed it so it looked more gothic uh the inside was a sound stage at the university of uh uh, new mexico and uh, the elevator was just a box and the background was your paper roll so it looked like (laughs) rocks going by and he he, i think he uh, he donated that to the, the the uh the university so that they have this this prop so wherever he could he was always trying to make this thing of it's gothic but also utilitarian it's gothic but it's also western so if you look at how he's setting up all the staging and how it looks he's always trying to get this feeling of Spaghetti Western, I think Sergio Leone is all over this movie. Oh, I think, yeah. especially in the beginning, where they're all standing outside of the farmhouse, and there's that slow zoom in on his face, yes, and yeah. a zoom out on the thing. That's that's once upon a time in America, right, right. there. Oh, yeah. And and then if it's not Leone, then it's uh Peck and Pa. Peck and did kick women around an awful lot. They were all whores <laughs> in his movies. So uh, another really complicated guy that I champion, but I never pretend. That his movies weren't really, really rough viewing, <laughs> yeah. You know? So, uh yeah, you know, I, I I love what he did with those things. I think Thomasine Griffith is kind of wasted though. I think uh as Valak, he could have made him just a little bit cooler. You know, they're, yeah. uh, this is a martial arts champ, right? Right. He's a guy who could do all sorts of stuff. They don't really have him move that much, but uh, I I love how. They play with the Midwest, the Midwest, the Southwest so much. They play with the Western so much. There are these broad shots. like The one shot that I think is just such a champion shot is when the priest is getting beaten up on the side of the road because uh, uh, Jack Crow knows that he's bullshitting. Right. he's not telling him the whole story. So he throws him out and he's beating him up and he puts a gun to him and he says, I don't know. And as he says, I don't know, it cuts to a long shot of a canyon. They're right on the edge of a valley. right, right? And it's just this beautiful, <laughs> picturesque thing. But it's a little little part of the right-hand corner is the priest and Jack Crow. And I'm like, that's so Western. That's yeah. so John Ford. And that's so Carpenter. It's not necessary to the story, but it is right for the story. Right.
0: And it's a pivotal moment, though. It's when Jack is looking at him, and you can see in James Woods' face, he believes him. It takes him a minute. You can kind of see the wheels going in his head, and he's like, okay, you're part of the team. Let's go. You know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's the whole thing where he has to nearly stab him in the uh, hotel room, which I think happens after that, right? Right,
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's where it's like, who's lying to me? He feels that everybody's lying to him. And the weird thing is, they are lying to him because he's a psycho. You can't you can't fuck with up with this guy. Montoya can't trust. Nobody can trust him. you know he'll, right. he'll, he'll, he'll he'll he's ready to blow his best friend away at certain points. He gives him two days, right. Yeah. We've been through everything, but you lied to me, but you were straight to me. at least you protected me in the end. But you know what? you're dead.
0: Right. Yeah. And he knew it. He Baldwin knew it. But yeah. um, I just wanted to jump back to the music for a split second and, and say there was a moment where where they're driving into Santiago and you see the sign that says Santiago. And that music was very Spaghetti Western right in. that Oh, spot yeah. There.
1: Yeah. Oh, there's beautiful Spaghetti Western stuff that's in that movie. The whole killing of the monks. Yeah, and when they run in they're like throwing monks up against the wall and how do you know they're dead because there's a big spot of blood on, on the wall right. when, they, when they fell they just <laughs> fell like a wet smudge yeah it was like a sponge on the back of the head or something they just knock them up but, but it works you know it's very yeah. effective and it's very much you know the end is so much of a western you know meet me high noon except it's high midnight
3: right
0: you know right. we're gonna
1: have the guy <laughs> strapped to the to the, to the to cross the, yeah he's on a cross in the uh, town center town square and uh and that's unfortunately where it becomes obvious that they ran out of money right there's no big end to the movie
3: right and it
1: does it does lose some of the pacing that i never noticed 10 10 years ago when i was watching it every day every year at halloween uh i never noticed that it gets really slow at certain points because they split up the, the the remaining so for those that haven't seen this movie there is a massacre that happens at a hotel uh after they kill off a whole bunch of these uh these vampires somehow they knew that they were coming we then find out it's a double cross from the people who are actually paying this guy to work but it ends up killing just about all of his team and there's this huge massacre all this stuff you're like oh wow this is incredible but after that there is a split between the two surviving members The the right hand man and the guy in charge. And when that happens, there's a dynamic shift that just it's obvious that they needed to do more exposition because they didn't have the money to show you, which is normally where Carpenter would go. And so they split it up by having part of it in Monterey and part of it in a hotel room and a beautiful hotel, you know, all this stuff to make it look like something, but it became obvious at a certain point watching it this time. It's like, damn, he, he just ran out of money. He had to save it all. Like, like Corman used to save it all for the last reel. They're right. <laughs> <Start> blowing <laughs> shit up at that point, but it felt kind of forced at the end. Yeah, It didn't have this, like, especially uh, it, it especially becomes obvious because he's, He's so much mimicking Sam Peckinpah. And if you're going to inform your movie with the wild bunch, you have to have a fuck of an ending, right? You have to have an ending. It's like, wow, holy shit. And that that doesn't happen. It's very, it's very subdued in that way. And I remember even when I saw it in the theater, I love the movie, but I did feel, yeah, uh, it's like, ah, that end is a little, you know, it's kind of downer, but. Yeah, but, you know, Carpenter does downer endings
0: every so often. <laughs> you, you mentioned the uh, the massacre in the hotel room, and I, I loved it. Like, right off the bat, Mark Boone Jr. is playing um, yeah. you know, Catelyn, and he opens the door, and Halleck, just with his own fingers, just poof, slices him yeah. right in half.
1: Yeah. Oh, and I love how they do great. that. Yeah, I love how they do that. It's a KNB effect. And this movie had to get cut and it was censored because there were a couple of really violent deaths that were in there, including a priest getting his head blown off with a shotgun. They had shown that in the original piece and they had to cut that out. But there's this great moment, which is so Carpenter. What I love is that Carpenter has this real flair with violence. It's editing To show more than what you actually see Uh, one of my favorite moments of that is sometimes he extends time and sometimes he contracts time here he extends time like he did in the fog In the fog the first deaths are on this ship. And it uses a flashlight falling to the ground to make something that is bam 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 killing last. So you have this whole thing of, like, the the flashlight hits the ground. Oh, we see the first stab. Then the flashlight rolls. Oh, the second stab. Right. And we get this constant thing. And in here, Mark Boone gets the slash, and we see his hair blow. (laughs) And his face still looks the same, like he can't understand what has happened. And then Valak flips his hand back out of him. And we don't know necessarily what's happening, but now the wind goes past his hair again, but this time there's a splat of blood that guts over, over his face. This is something that in real life, in real world timing, that most directors would do, they just chop him in half, the body would fall in two. But Carpenter does this great thing of extending that by having these cuts. And then when he falls to the ground to his knees, when he splits open, it's like, fuck, what a great effect. And yeah, And that, That's oh, a yeah. style thing that I love out of, uh, out of Carpenter.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's funny, you, you mentioned, you know, uh, uncomfortable things in this movie I have to say, normally when I'm watching a film for the show I'll write down lines of dialogue here and there that I think are funny yeah. And I'll say them, and I couldn't write any of them because I like.
1: Well, you got to say Wood, right? That's yeah, Wood,
0: it. yeah, that, that that one, but there was one I wrote Oh, and of course Mike's gone, I wanted him to hear this one too Estrada um, Chocolata? Oh, there you go he uh, there's one g- hilarious line of that. I mean, James Woods. This movie's you know you thought The Hard Way was chock full of h- hilarious lines from oh him. Oh my god, yeah. He, this movie, yeah. he's got a bunch of great ones too. And at one point, the 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 priest is gonna go and be the one to lure the vampires. He's gonna be the bait. So James Woods goes, "Okay, Padre, lather up and shave your ass. You're the bait."
3: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's uh, there there's a, a great one that was in the the trailer, but. Edited for the trailer, which is like, let me tell you about vampires. Uh, vampires aren't like what you've seen in the movies. They're not wearing uh, cheesy Euro trash, you know hypnotizing people. He goes, that's not what they do. Uh, and crosses, they don't work. Silver bullets, they don't work. He goes, garlic. You want to wear a garlic? Wear garlic around your neck, and they'll bend you over and take a dance on your strata chocolata. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's fantastic right but it's also fucking rude as shit but i uh, i find that stuff really funny you know there's that's just funny yeah you know? yeah and uh, and i think rude is shit and there's a lot of that in there there's a lot of talk of dicks you know yes. It's it's very manly yeah you know you, you, know, you, you got to get a hard dick before you go in and kill everybody yeah. and uh and, and <laughs> And that works with the character, right? It works with the character, yeah. except, you know, it's funny though, because it's James Woods, right? Yeah. Right. So James Woods has that acidic ability and he is a great actor. So he's able to have this, this, this rage that shows up, uh, but he's also a tiny man <laughs> and he's skinny. And so it takes a bit of him acting. He has to have a, a gun or something on him, on, on him a lot. At, in the beginning, he goes up against a really heavy set guy a vampire yeah. and he's basically on him. He's like claw crawled up on him and he's stabbing him with this thing. And he's pounding. He's like, God damn it. Just fucking die. Yeah. And, it's, <laughs> and, like, and it's it's great. You know, it, it feels very realistic and it's also not pretending that he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. He's this little guy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so it's, it's an, it was an interesting choice. You know, James Wood was an interesting choice to put there. Right. Uh, But, you know, it's it it is it's, you know, as time changes things, it's not always easy. Yeah,
0: You know, and that's why I was kind of wondering, you know, why are these guys carrying around pistols through the whole movie? They don't work on the vampire. They don't
1: work. Right. They They just slow them down. Slow them
0: down. That's what I was going to say. But uh, but the other thought was, well, he does kind of look cool with it. So,
1: (laughs) Well, that's it. And it's also funny. I mean, it's one of those things like uh, I love a lot of really interesting tough guy movies and stuff. And this is one of those movies that if you look at trivia on IMDb, uh, not only they tell you about where it was shot and stuff like that, they tell you the model and make of the handguns. (laughs) that this person's (laughs) using this person's using. So you know, it it, it falls into that type of film. Yeah. And, And there's a lot of stuff that makes no sense. But it works thematically or visually. So like they have a I don't know. They have some kind of circular device that they put over doorknobs. Yeah. And they press a couple buttons and whoop it makes a perfectly good hole and takes the doorknob out. And like, well, we're there's like a pile of doorknobs somewhere. Uh, you could have just kicked it in. You know, yeah. a whole bunch of things you could have fucking done, but that looks cool. And then they have like a big truck that 12 yeah. uh, guys are in. And in the commentary, uh he says, Yeah, Carbon goes, Yeah, there's our our Slayer van he goes in the movie they're supposed to be back in there but of course in real life that'd be really fucking hot it's in the <laughs> middle of the desert and we're not going to get 12 actors to so just sit in there he says so when we open it up that's the first time those guys are in there for maybe a couple minutes but it's the idea of like that's what you would do you'd only have one vehicle like why would you or they had two vehicles
0: right know, the because Jeep and that
1: because truck. yeah because you know Crow Understands egress, right? Everybody else (laughs) has to get one truck to get the fuck out of there if everything goes bad. But he has a special one. He's the general, right? The general (laughs) is going to be up on the hill with a little jeep. Yeah. So uh, I cracked up that they have uh, their. It looks cool, but there's not a lot of sense to it. And I think he plays at that. Like there's a whole thing in the very beginning where they're sneaking into this building, right? And one of the guys is about to open a door, and he goes, "Slow, careful, be quiet." And the guy goes. And he opens it up real fast. <laughs> and he's like, "Jesus Christ!" <laughs> and he's like looking at him. He's like, oh. "And then uh, Crow's walking, and he has his gun. He's ready to open this door." And we're all looking at this door. And he kicks a can, and he yes. goes, <laughs> and he just looks at everybody. And it's like so they're they're playing with it. He's being very playful with this stuff. They have uh, you know the winches that they use to pull these guys out, but perfectly good question that you ask is like why not just burn the building down right Right. Uh, and and wait outside outside it's daylight yeah anybody comes out they're gonna blow into like uh, when they catch fire here they don't just catch fire it's like roman candles are going off underneath their clothing it's like boom and it's cool as shit because of that but it also is not very logical their attacks are not very logical (sighs) Uh, And I mean, if you're trying to be macho, why come when they're sleeping? Right. So they're half smart, but they're not thoroughly smart. They don't go all the way.
0: I almost got the impression at the beginning that they were a relatively new team for him because there was even one guy that was kind of cowardly and he basically told him, you know, suck it the fuck up and get in there. Uh, Yeah, I haven't a clue if it's a new team. Uh, They never mentioned
1: that. It may as well be. Or it may as well be that you're just never going to satisfy this fucker. If you're on his team, Mm -hmm. just be ready for the, you know, you're never good enough. For Jack Crow, Jack right. Crow is gonna, you know, he's gonna find something wrong with everybody. But I think it's interesting that even the police, nobody is looking at these guys as good guys. It's like, when are you guys gonna get out of town? Uh, I've spent a week uh, rounding up whores and booze for these guys. When are they gonna get out of this hotel? And he's like, we'll get out this tonight. He goes, I can't say that I'm sorry to see you go,
0: right?
1: You know, this is these are your heroes, right? So it's not like We're supposed to kind of like these guys in the way we grudgingly do,
0: right? But then James Wood says to the cop, did you get the package we sent you? And he goes, yeah, I did. (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, because they get money, right? And that's that's supposed to make everything okay, too, right? Yeah. Hey, I pay you all. It doesn't matter how I run my ship. Yeah. Right, right. And so there, there's that kind of thinking that's in there as well. Uh, so it's really interesting. And I think uh, one of the things that bothered me when I first saw the movie and I understood that it was a Western motif But it really bothered me that we didn't see more of the Slayers. Mm. I love the Mark Boone Jr. Jr. character. He's funny and sarcastic, and he doesn't look like a superhero. He's just this heavy set guy with an upside-down cross shirt and stuff, but he believes in God. So it's like this whole really interesting thing about some of those guys. Some of them are completely throwaway but uh, i was like going you know this is kind of cool i'd love to see them in action more because it was a lot of fun to see them but i n- understood that you need to take away all the power so that the story becomes much more personal when jack crow has to go out there and do this stuff once again horror movie w- universe for him to be able to do all these things there needs to be all this stuff that the world is absolutely wrong and crooked for him to be able to get away with it
0: right right you, you know it's interesting too the the um the the way he they keep going, you know, because he's he's obsessed with finding the master, and I yeah. loved the whole thing where the master's not there, you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I love the. I mean, the, kind of the tomb of the living dead uh, tribute. Oh yeah. Uh, where they're coming out of the ground. Yeah. You know? I thought that, that was so friggin' cool. Uh, these uh, master vampires come out of the, of the ground at sunset, and they're just in shallow graves around that house. So he missed them because they were informed that he was going to be there. And uh, that was interesting. It's also uh, interesting that he does this slow motion during one of the most visceral moments, which is the the massacre at the hotel, at the motel, the sun God motel. everything's in a slow motion. he's kind of doing that peck and paw thing of you know people getting shot in the ballet of death they used to call it
3: right, right. and
1: so there, there's that whole thing and that works for some people like it works for me because I know Peck and paw stuff. but for a younger generation when I was looking up reviews of this they were like going, man he kind of it's portents of things to come how the pacing kind of lags as the movie goes on, that in the most vital moment where it can be the most kinetic, instead of going the way of like Cameron, where everything's happening all at once, he instead has everything happen all at once in slow motion, so that you're Mm. slowly watching all of this happen. And and so my version of film language, which is a little bit older, granted, uh, that made sense. But for someone younger, they were like going, "That's a very weird change. It's a very strange place to put that." And once again, that's so, sometimes the the language of film. You know, context is everything, and if that's no longer relevant, that can become a, a hindrance. Why did Peck and Pa do that? Well, Peck and Pa did that because all the westerns used to be a guy gets shot and he goes uh, and falls over. But when he was in the army, he watched a guy get dragged by his testicles by the by the people that were his his uh, compadres. You know, he was at a prison as a guard and the Mexican, uh, the, the Spanish-American kind of conflict was going on. And uh, he watched these guys torturing people and he saw people die, you know, in, in battle. And he's like, that's not what gun battle looks like. So his thing was he's going to slow it down. He's not only gonna have chunks of blood coming off of people, he's going to show it in slow motion and have people slowly going down on the ground. And that's what made the Wild Bunch so amazing was that in a world where you had Joel McRae and a white hat, and John Wayne in a white hat. At most, you see a red spot, and the guy would be okay, but he'd still be able to walk. And Peck and Paul was demystifying that. Now we've gone sixty years since then, or fifty years since then. Uh, is that still a relevant way to go? If nobody else is doing it, right? So uh, you know, it's it's a question. But yeah. uh, it it kind of broke my heart. That the 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 younger generation looked at it and looked mm-hmm. at the slow motion going man what he how senile is this guy <laughs> he, <laughs> slow, he slowed down the action this movie needs action
0: yeah. that's funny you mentioned the um the scene where the the masters come out of the graves and that that also reminded me of Sugar Hill yes you know
1: that's fucking cool yeah yeah yeah.
0: Sugar Hill's awesome. Oh, I love that movie. Mike, yeah. Sugar Hill's um, it's a black exploitation film from the seventies. It's a zombie flick. But it's it's uh, it's a uh, uh the old school zombies, it's the voodoo yeah. type zombies. Yeah. And it's about this chick whose husband is killed and uh by mobsters and she needs to take revenge on him and ends up getting involved in voodoo, and it's it's really good.
1: Yeah. Ah. There's some really good scary moments in that and visually really interesting. It's kind of like um Black yeah, you know, Black hela yeah. has some really interesting stuff, but there's also a really scary slow motion. motion. Moment, I was right? thinking that yeah.
0: when you were mentioning it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was like, that was like embedded in my nightmare. You know, that's yeah. that, that's the horror. That and like uh, Jean Roland's, uh fascination, where the woman's coming with the the scythe, right, slash yep. the guy. Yeah. And it's like that's more like me being just paralyzed, going, "Oh well, I guess I'm fucking dead." Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. It's going to happen in slow motion. <laughs> Wonderful, thank you. No, but. uh but yeah, I love that, the visual flair. I love a lot of the visual flair that's in the movie. One of my favorite shots is when it's in the, the um, finale where there are, there's like the 30 goons, but there's also downstairs. So just like a perfectly good Western, just like Assault on Precinct 13, just like Rio Bravo, we have an invasion of a police station, basically. Right. We have a, a jailhouse. And this is a jailhouse that has multiple floors, there's like an elevator in it, yeah. there's like a mine shaft kind of thing, and um, the bad guys are the ones that are inside, as opposed to Rio Bravo and everything where the good guys are surrounded. We have our good guys infiltrating, and you. Uh, there's this wonderful moment where they have to do all this weird shit to get downstairs, and it's where they have to get this elevator down. And there's this complicated shit of how they're going to drag a guy up and, you know, the winches work. Uh, It's just it's too much to talk about here. But anyway, it's it's all just to make the suspense unbearable as this priest who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, but he's the shaved ass bait at this point. Yeah, he's there to be bait for this vampire. And my favorite shot is they get down there and Carpenter just holds with this priest stepping a little bit out of the elevator shaft. And then it turns point of view and there's somebody walking and there's just enough light to see a silhouette and then it goes total darkness and then there's just a little light to see silhouette and it's a vampire and it walks and it goes and kind of hunkers down a little bit and it doesn't run immediately. There's just this standoff moment. And you're like, what the fuck? And then it goes, boom, as fast as possible into the darkness. And it's like, oh, that's so great. And you see him coming around and he's like, hurry, let's yeah, go yeah. up now. <laughs> now would be a great time. You know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And it's just so cool. Uh, it's one of those things that there are certain shots in the movie that I go, there's vintage carpenter and vintage carpenter is like that moment where the light, the dark light and the character gets hidden in a certain moment. He always has this wonderful overhead lighting that obscures in shadows, and people's eyes are kind of darkened because of it. Uh, It's always like a brown and a red. You know, there's this really cool stuff the Carpenter does, minimalist in some ways, and very open frame. And so there's not a lot of, uh, there are a couple scenes where he really uses that frame very well. But it is one of those movies where uh, I, I, Didn't feel that he really punched across the line like he usually does when he uses anamorphic. He used that big, wide screen to really have action in different areas, to have you look in different areas. And in this, uh, I don't know if he just didn't have time or what, but uh, there's cool compositions, but he's not playing inside of the frame very often. And the times that he did is like I'm going. There's Carpenter right there. There's yeah, Carpenter. Yeah,
0: exactly. So let's wrap this up. We've been at it for quite some time here, uh, Scott. I'm and- sorry if this
1: is not the show you thought it was going to be. <laughs> is that, I had that to what be I thought honest. it
0: would be when I woke up this morning? Yeah. But- <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's been awesome. It's been wicked fun. I'm yeah. fascinating. I'm
1: glad because I have to be honest.
0: Yeah, you know, sure, and yeah.
1: I still. Well, we'll watch this movie, but I have to look at it in different eyes.
2: It's funny. Now I'm going to go watch it because I didn't watch the right one. And now I'm like, (laughs) after hearing your perspective on it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep that in my head when I'm looking at it and see.
1: Hey, and perhaps this will be the best thing that ever happened for John Carpenter's Vampires. Whoever is listening is like, I want to tell that dickhead that he's completely wrong. I'm going to watch this movie. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm the best friend.
0: (laughs) So I I, usually I ask people, would you recommend this movie? But Scott, I'd probably say you wouldn't. Am I putting words in your mouth?
1: I, I would recommend with reservations okay i would i would have to talk with somebody about that and before i was just like going and the funny thing is this woman i was at a woman in horror film festival right i was a judge there and so we were talking about how horror can show um the plight of people who are marginalized i was like oh well, you got to watch John Carpenter's vampires this is a great one about that because I had this whole thing of them being the Indians and all this stuff and I my memory because I hadn't watched it in a while was that all of that stuff about kicking her down the road and everything played just fine as long as you're looking at it as a tough as nails hard-boiled thing and but it really sticks out once hmm. you have somebody go hey you told me to watch this movie dude and I've got to tell you how it made me feel and hmm. I was like oh okay so this isn't this isn't uh, the uh, an organization telling me how they feel. This is yeah. a person telling me how they feel. And so with that, as long as I get to tell that kind of thing and say, listen, this is rough. And I have to tell you, it doesn't age well. And you can look online and find many people who talk about it, how it doesn't age well. But yeah. they hate it now. Right. Uh, me, I, I still see a lot of value in it. I like John Carpenter. But I have to say, even for mm. me. It has not aged very well. Yeah, hmm.
2: it's one of those things that you just can't like. I, I, you know, I'm I don't usually like look for or notice. Like you said, you just don't even notice it, or you think, okay, well, that's it's because this is a good guy, this is a bad guy. But every once in a while, there's something in a in a show or a movie that you know, like I, I my mind goes back to um, High Plains Drifter mm. when oh, he oh. comes back into the town and da da da, da and the way he gets his anger out on the woman is he just grabs her and drags her into the barn and to to rape her, basically. And yeah. of course they make it seem like she's not protesting that much because he's good looking and whatever. They kind of yeah. gloss over it. But I always that always made me uncomfortable in the movie. Like, okay, he's pissed at everybody and she kind of, you know, got him killed. But yeah. at the same time, is that like what is he doing this is the guy and he's
1: yeah Yeah. that's really interesting that you say that because that's something that i noticed when i was writing my book i was talking about a whole bunch of different things and one of the things that i said is that there was this time in the 70s where every movie had an like uh, it was an action film or a western had a rape and there was always Mm. the ann introducing and it was a woman you've never heard of And she was probably going to take off her top at a certain point. But it was really interesting. Like High Plains Drifter. Mm. Or not High Plains, you said. uh, One of my favorites is Outlaw Josie Wales. Oh, yeah. But there is this strange rape that happens for no fucking good reason. Yeah. It's really unnecessary. And there are a lot of movies where rape and sex get of twisted together Mm -hmm. and now as time has passed that was titillation and so i talk about that now about horror where horror has very rarely been about sex and violence i call it sex and violence but i call it nudity and violence Mm -hmm. a lot of these movies it's missionary position at best and in everything else (laughs) about horror we're always pushing the extremes right Right. we're trying to make you uncomfortable but we are so scared of sex you know Mm -hmm. and we're at a point now With all the crazy shit that's being talked about, with the gender fluidity and things like that, it's like a perfect place to freak people out and piss people off by doing a horror (laughs) movie that kind of plays with that. But we don't touch it. Instead, we had this weird time where we used rape as a tool for titillation, just Mm -hmm. to get somebody naked. And it wasn't a great justification for what was going on. So I hear you when you Mm -hmm. say that. It was something that was also it came to my mind by watching a few movies and i'm like "Oh man this is so strange and it mm. dies that ends in the 80s and uh and it really ends after like the accused of jodie foster oh Ooh, yeah at yeah, that yeah. point yeah. you have this thing where well that's a rain on the parade <laughs> to say in a <laughs> yeah. certain way but uh you know that kind of changed things i think and that's i think an
2: excellent uh, movie but it, that, that it's really hard to watch yeah oh yeah
1: i, I, I mean there are some it. movies There are some movies that are one watchers, right? And uh, and it's like uh, the idea of me saying vampires, I will recommend with caveats. There are several movies that are like that. Uh, Cannibal Holocaust is a movie that I'll say you should see once because of its significance.
3: (laughs) Once. Yeah, yeah. But
1: also you need to know what's in there. And it's so important or so uh, explosive. They actually have a no animal killing cut. That you can watch, I think on DVD, so you don't have to feel that horrible feeling that the actors had. You know, they come out later and say it was fucking horrible. But there we are. And so, uh, you know, movies like that, or Martyrs, or uh, Irreversible, these are movies uh, that I will recommend because they really got a rise out of me. They disturbed me, which is kind Mm. of what I go to this stuff for at times. But I need to let you know. You know, I can't. I can't tell you to go watch Serbian film. That's one I can't recommend. Right? (laughs) I can't tell you to go watch Serbian film. Isn't Gary Busey in (laughs) that? The new cut might be the Busey cut of Serbian film. (laughs) Yeah, he's now put in everything. They're now just calling it a Busey. Oh, (laughs) oh, (laughs) but I'm bummed. Yeah, (laughs) but but yeah. Um, So I uh, I don't want to. Uh, and that's what I talked about before. I don't want it to be one-sided. It is not an or statement. I am not my way or the highway on this. I own it. I own that I like this movie, and I own that it is not aged well, and I own that you are not wrong if you see these things, and it bothers you. you know? That's right. just how it is.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, I remember enjoying this film. I really didn't notice any of this stuff until you pointed it out, really. And I've been, I've had this film since... It first came out yeah. on DVD. Exactly. Um, Same here.
1: Sony. I have the Sony version. Yeah. I, I haven't gotten the Blu-ray but, yet, but that might happen.
0: Right. That being said, though, I think James Woods is awesome in this movie. I think he's a fascinating character. I'd love to see more. You know, there's two great moments with him in this. Um, one is where he's with the priest character uh, towards the end, and they realize they have to split up to make things work. And um, he he looks at him, and he goes, Padre. And the priest goes, I know and he walks away, and James Woods is like, okay, good. You could tell he's thinking to himself, I didn't have to emote or anything. That's good. <laughs> and then <laughs> the other moment is there's a moment with him and Montoya, and um, I really liked that, too. They kind of have this brotherly understanding. Yeah. So, I think overall... Um, you know, even though he's this hard ass character, I think it's a fascinating character That it's too bad they didn't explore him further to find out exactly what makes him tick and why is he the way he is?
1: Well, I think that's certainly a uh, uh, an interesting piece about him is that they do want to show that he is damaged. And how do you show that you're damaged, that you have friends begrudgingly just holding on? They see something. Yeah. They know him from where back when. Montoya knows him probably before things went south of, in, in such a way that this job has turned him into whatever he is. But there's also the thing of like that also. Uh, would be great if you flesh that out on everybody else too. if you really want to complicate things right. Show a little bit more of Montoya you know show a little bit more of that team. I would have liked to have seen that as well. yeah you know humanize humanize him, sure. but if you're going to humanize him, it would be great to also have everybody else that's there not just be you know fodder, grist for the mill, grist for the gore mill if you're going to go down that
3: path. Yeah, exactly.
1: But I think uh, like I said uh, that character, uh, is fascinating you know there are many wonderful fascinating characters I mean I like certain movies where the killer is like really horrible right uh, and it's not they don't even have to be charismatic like uh, Hannibal Lecter
3: it's right
1: a really <laughs> disturbing character to say the least but they can just be fascinating and like that's someone I've never seen on screen before that's a character I've never seen. That's a real. Those are real people? There are people like that out there? Shit, that's crazy. And that to me is, is some of the exciting things that you can do with film. And I don't see why you can't do that in horror. And horror, last thing I'll say on this is uh, I say this all the time. I'm not here to apologize for the movie that offends you. I will not hide that it can be offensive. I'm not gonna pretend that it's not offensive, but I am not here to apologize for it. Horror has a specific purpose. It is not here to share half its sandwich with you. (laughs) The thing that it's here to do is to put you through that journey, that dark forest. You come to the dark forest to get to the other side and have that hero's journey. That's Mm -hmm. what horror does. Horror is here to get that fucking visceral thing out of you. is a healthy handshake and dance at the shadow that everybody has in us. Every one of us has a Jack Crow in us, but we do it in a safe handshake with the film and then we make the decision
0: afterwards. Right. So that's
1: my, that's my soapbox.
0: <laughs> right. Awesome. <Cool>. So <laughs> Scott put that you... at the front
1: so they don't kill me.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'll put a disclaimer on the film, on the show. Um <laughs> So Scott,
1: my regular fans, you're going to hate this guy. You've heard him before. You loved him before. You're going to hate him this time. I don't know what happened.
0: He just shit on your favorite movie. No, I'm kidding.
1: And my one of my favorites, right? Yeah. Own it. And his own favorite movie. Yeah. Gun in the mouth.
0: So Scott, can you tell the listeners where to find you online?
1: Sure. Uh, If you want to hear more from me, you're really in pain. You just need to feel a little bit worse about yourself. I have a podcast called Hellbent for Horror. It's a podcast about everything related to the horror movie and how horror is an art form as well as a social commentary. I talk about how horror informs our culture and how the culture informs horror. And I have a book called Screaming for Pleasure, How Horror Makes You Happy and Healthy. I basically talk about that shadow and how that shadow is so important for us to indulge every so often. You can find all that information at hellbentforhorror.com. You can find my Twitter uh, and my Facebook and all of those things uh, in that spot, but not my home address.
0: Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you guys for joining me and um, look forward to having you on the show again, maybe with something less politically charged. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's more socially charged.
1: That's a, a bone of contention that I have. We call things political, they're really social problems, because Mm. social problems, you have to try and solve. You have to look at those. Mm. They affect everybody. If we call it political, then it's just a difference of fucking opinion.
0: Right, Mm. right. That's true. Mm. (laughs) Get me out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, gasoline. (laughs) Okay, folks, well, thank you for joining us for that really interesting episode today on our special 2022 13 Days of Hallowtober series, where we focus on modern zombie films. You can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. What?
1: You said zombies.
0: Oops. I cut and pasted from last year. (laughs) (laughs) And and I tailored it towards um, what we just talked about, and I'm going to reuse it, so I'm not going to say what I just said. Okay. Okay. Okay, folks, thanks. Jeez, I wonder now if I said zombies in my other shows, too. (laughs) That's all right. I can use this one. Okay, folks, as I said at the top of the episode, we had a bit of a snafu because my kill was not familiar with John Carpenter's vampires, and he accidentally watched one of the sequels. But he did sit through the discussion that I had with Scott Bradley and chimed in once in a while. Now, of course, as I mentioned, Scott had strong, controversial opinions about the movie. So, after our recording, Michael went and watched it for himself and had a counterpoint of view to Scott's. So, Michael came back to record his counterpoint to Scott's opinion, and he's here with me right now. Welcome back, Michael.
2: Hey, how are you doing, Roger? Thanks for the opportunity to do this.
0: Awesome, awesome. Glad to have for you. Sure. We we could use some controversy in this show.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So Scott and I really dissected the film. Um, so why don't you, and the people obviously just listened to it. So why don't you give us your counterpoints to what he had to say?
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, uh, okay. So yeah. The, the, the first time around I wasn't, I, I wasn't super familiar with the movie. So I just went on and looked up, you know, did like a search on my fire stick on the TV and John Carpenter's vampires. And the first thing that popped up that, that looked like it had that title. I watched it. It turned out to be the sequel. Uh, and then I didn't realize that until we got into the conversation. And then I was like, Oh crap. So yes, I finally did go watch the actual movie after the original thing. Um, he uh, see Scott was talking a lot about how he felt that it, it's my interpretation of what he said was that, so, so um, Jack Crow is the main character in this movie uh, played by James Woods, Woods. Yep. and the guy and he just fucking hates vampires. His parents got killed by a vampire when he was a kid and, you know, he has this, he has this history of them. He just sees them as vermin. They're just this nasty, disgusting, inhuman, lower life form, you know, they they just they're just vermin to him and um so anyway uh he has this awful attitude toward them whenever he encounters them anywhere uh jack does and um when we were doing our discussion it seemed like um yeah scott was was seemed to be saying that, that you know there's a scene in the beginning where they're in mexico or near the border or something and you know uh, jack and his crew go into this house where they think there's a nest of vampires and they go in and they kill a whole bunch of them and drag them out and the whole time you know jack is saying things like let's just let's uh, let's get rid of this vermin and let's these these like low-life scum suckers you know and scott seemed to be saying that there was an uh, that that was like a there was a subtext of like white supremacy and like uh what is it that they call white people these days colonizers
0: oh i don't know yeah
2: (laughs) and like that 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 there was like the hatred in that scene was more he was interpreting it scott was interpreting it as it was like a white guy hating on like people from another country or people of color as they say these days
0: and and they would dress Um, like conquistadors Wow. Or there was supposedly uh, his team was supposedly dressed like conquistadors.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Well, how did I? I didn't even notice that.
0: Right. <laughs>
2: oh, oh, oh! That's what Scott was saying.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: You're saying you're saying what Scott said. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 oh. Yeah, yeah. He had some right. He had some some like I, I don't know, concept of like white people coming in to an area where there are people you know that are not white and treating them like they are dirt and scum and hating on them simply because they're different and wanting to wipe them out. And I was like, okay, because I hadn't seen the movie, I was frustrated because I didn't know how to respond to that. But first of all, now that I've seen the movie, no, (laughs) Jack's hatred and disgust with vampires, that's his universal attitude toward these things. And he, You see it throughout the movie. Anytime when he gets an opportunity to kill a vampire, he goes like a little bit overboard each time. He gets really, you know, full of rage and hatred and disgust. And he's just like, die, 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 you piece of shit. And it's
0: like,
3: right.
2: that, that's how he feels about vampires. And yeah, these guys were, you know, Mexican or whatever, because that's where the scene took place. And the team was a mixture of like people from different races. And there was like, you know, men and women mixed in there. It wasn't like a bunch of white men coming in to. So I didn't see it that way at all. And I, I don't really like it when people try to apply, especially coming in after the fact, like this movie has been out for ages coming in like much later and saying, Oh, well, this is what that really meant. Or this is what, you know, even though he was showing like, vampire hunters killing vampires. Well, really what he was trying to say with this scene was that, you know, it was uh, white people expressing their disgust toward Mexicans or whatever, or, or, you know, people that are foreigners or whatever. I was just like, what are you talking about, man? Like, that's not, why are you, you know, you're analyzing. I mean, I realize sometimes you have to analyze a film by stepping back from what's in the, reality of the in the world of the movie and then talk about it from you know like a what people call meta right like step back from it talk about it or what the filmmakers were trying to do or whatever i get that but he said that he watched this movie like a million times like every year so one of his favorite horror movies for years and years and years and then uh, and i say he i mean scott and then this year i didn't really catch it he i think he said he went to some event that I think was, it was about a f- like,
0: film festival and he had recommended it to a woman
2: yeah and then he said he was talking he was what he watched part of it or he was talking to somebody about it that he had recommended the movie to them and they were like i don't know how many women but it was more than one we're talking about like you know the the subtext and the misogynistic this and that and they they had like a very they were looking at it through a very feminist lens um and and primarily because not only in, I mean in addition to the whole like contempt for foreigners thing that's that's a like a that's one you know racist angle that they talked about, but also the feminism thing where there was a woman, uh, really gorgeous woman who gives a great performance in the movie. Um, what is her name? The blonde uh, chick in the movie. Cheryl.
0: Uh, Cheryl Lee. Cheryl Lee. She's fantastic. Yeah, she was Laura Palmer on Twin Peaks.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: <laughs>
2: that's why I knew the name. I couldn't put it together. Okay. Um, one, I,
0: I just wanted to um, correct you on one quick thing because Scott did bring this up. Um, there were no women on James Woods' team. There was just the men. There was the, the only women we saw were the prostitutes that the cop got for them. Oh. Um, so that is one valid point that he had. And oh, Okay.
2: I don't know why I thought there was at least one like really tough looking woman, but maybe yeah, I guess I got that wrong. Okay. Um, all right. So, well, I mean, not for nothing, but if I was putting together a team of hunters to go into dangerous situations all the time and fight with vampires who are already stronger than humans, I don't know that I would necessarily pick a bunch of women for my team. I mean, sorry, women, but men are just <laughs> stronger in, in a lot of ways and, you know, as a general rule and,
0: well, so, I mean, you okay. would add, add Sarah Connor to your team. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. I um, mean,
2: she's ripped and trained and, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, your opinion is, is um, it's vo- it'd been voiced quite a bit by other people in terms of the fact that vampires shouldn't be portrayed as suave guys in capes and bow ties. They should be portrayed as vermin. Um, that's a very popular opinion of how vampires should be considered is mm. that they are, they're monsters. They're not humans. They, you know, yeah. you know, like twilight. It's so so romanticizes it. You forget that these people are indeed bloodsuckers.
3: Mm.
2: And actually I prefer vampires when they're nasty and monstrous. And that's one of the things I loved about this movie. When I, after the, previous podcast i went and watched it and i was like this is awesome because the, the the lead vampire guy there like you know after the scene where the the team raids the, the house and they kill all the vampires and drag them out into the sunlight and burn the place down and then um i guess they somehow they hint to the fact or he was hiding somewhere near there I guess the the what's it Valak or whatever his yeah, name is yeah yeah Valak and so he when they're all like relaxing and recovering the team at the motel with like beer and and hookers and whatever and just trying to like unwind after this this hunt he shows up at night at the motel and just fucking rips everybody to pieces
0: you know yeah
2: and he's so feral and he's so monstrous and he's there's none of this yeah there was none of this like charismatic you know, charming kind of vampire. He just, he was just practically almost like a werewolf. He was all teeth and claws and strength and just, you know, killed everybody, wiped everybody out. Uh, well, not everybody, but almost everybody. And I was like clapping. I was like, that's the kind of vampire that I can enjoy, you know? Like, yeah. that, um, I think I complained about or mentioned something about that in one of our other things, uh, other uh, podcasts. But, um, and then, you know, as the movie goes on, he's pretty much just this evil, nasty thing who's like, you know, just evil and destructive and monstrous and disgusting and nasty. And, you know, he, he he's, yeah, there's no, he's not charming. And like all the vampires, they're just, they just attack, you know, they want to rip you to pieces and, and they will, unless you kill them first. And, um... So I liked that aspect of it a lot. And, and yeah, throughout the whole movie, Jack's contempt for them. Like, okay, okay. so going back to the hookers, right? There were yep. hookers. Cheryl Lee it plays one of them. Yep. So they bring in these call girls and they're all saying hi to the team and drinking beer and all this other horse shit. And then Jack goes outside to smoke a cigarette or I don't know what and she comes out and says hi to him and kind of you know oh do you want to like spend some time together you know I'm here and he likes her because she's hot and then she he tells her to go to his room so he can do something before he gets back there but the Valak is uh, comes into the room and bites her and so then she's like you know in the process of changing into a vampire after that and then the whole, all shit hits the fan and then Jack is like, Jack and one of his other guys are like, okay, let's get, let's get the hell out of here because you know everybody else has been killed. And as they're leaving, Jack sort of at first kind of goes to her like, oh, you should come with us. And then he notices that she got bit. And how she's like kind of like stumbling around and he sees the blood on her and he immediately like pulls his hand away and and almost like shakes it off. Like you would, if you accidentally put your hand in piss or something, you know? Right. Like he's just immediately like, Oh God. He's like, what, what did you get bit? Like, he's like, his, his attitude immediately changes from like wanting to protect this cute human to, Oh, you're one of those things now, you know? Right. And so then, yeah, there's a part that Scott also commented on when they're, I forget what the story is. They drive away and the car breaks down or something, and then they have to, he and his other team member and uh, the woman have to walk for a certain distance to get someplace. And they're walking on the street and she's still sort of woozy because she's like, she got bit and you know some of her blood got taken and she's kind of out of it. And uh, they're walking and yeah, it's daylight and they're on the side of the road and Jack kind of shoves her at one point. And because she's woozy she loses her balance and kind of falls falls onto her hands and knees for a second and then stands herself back up and scott was saying like oh that's such misogyny that you know he's out in the he's out in the broad daylight like bullying a woman and blah 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 and i was like yeah but what are you talking about like why are you looking at it like from this societal lens because it's a story and this guy is disgusted by her now that she's turned, you know, or she's in the process of turning into one of these vermin things. And they bring her with them because she has
0: some. She had a psychic connection to Valak.
2: Right. There's a psychic connection. Yeah. So they know that they can maybe use her to locate Valak or vice versa, or for him to find them so they can kill him. So they, that's why they don't kill her right away. They keep her with them. Right. But Yeah, I I didn't think that was about – it wasn't about, like, a man beating up on a woman in broad daylight and nobody says anything. Like, first of all, they're in the middle of nowhere. They're out in the middle of a desert road. So who's going to come up to them and say, hey, you should be nice to that woman? You know, there's nobody there. (laughs) And at that moment, he wasn't seeing her as a human woman. He was seeing her as this scum, this disgusting, vile thing that's not human anymore. Like – and he liked her initially and he wanted to like you know have sex with her and she was great and he was looking forward to that and now it's like she's she's uh what what is it called compromised she's like tainted goods right so because she's She's turning
0: into a monster yeah
2: right and he tolerates her her presence because they might be you know it might be useful for them but at the same time he's still that contempt just like he it's it's ingrained in him he can't like be compassionate toward her. Because now that he knows she got bit, he's like, oh, well, that's it. You know, no, you're he right away. He's like, you're not who you were, te- you know, 15 minutes ago. You're not what you were 15 minutes ago. You now have crossed a line into something that I hate and think is disgusting. And so, and, and it was such a brief scene. The way Scott talked about it, I thought it was this big extended scene of him like kicking the crap out of her. But it was this really short scene of them just walking along the side of the road for 30 seconds or 40 seconds and and then yeah of course he's sort of mean to her because he considers her to be scum and monster and whatever at that point and I couldn't understand why Scott kept insisting that he it almost sounded like he was saying that scene shouldn't have been in there or that you know, they shouldn't have had the character do that because it's a man pushing a woman, and blah blah blah. And I was like, yeah, but in the con, if if you take it in the context of the story, and you know who the characters are and what happened and why <laughs> why they feel that, why Jack feels that way. I mean, then it's not about what it looks like from the outside. It's it's it's, a, it's about what's going on in the story. It's the story,
0: you know. Right. Right.
2: So, yeah.
0: You know, it just occurred to me. I don't understand why, since they were in the desert, why didn't they take her to Caleb's father's house and from near dark and ha- have him give her a blood transfusion? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So overall, what did you think of um, of James Woods's performance in this?
2: Oh, that was great.
0: He's
2: yeah. he's got this way of like. If you just saw him standing around, you might think, oh, this guy almost looks like a little nerdy. But when he's in the movies as, like, a cop or, in this case, this this vampire hunter, this, like, rage comes. He's very good at tapping into this rage and this, like, snippy, impatient, like, yeah, just kind of angry. Not not stupidly angry all the time. I mean, you know, he can think and everything. But he's this, even though he doesn't look... Particularly intimidating at a glance, he he's so infused with like this get the bad guy or kill the vampire or whatever, and he he becomes like intimidating and yeah he's it, it's really obvious through the whole movie the way he behaves toward the every single vampire or every single person he thinks might have gotten bit you see his eyes change his fate his body language changes he just immediately this shade like the shadow falls over him and he just, he, all of a sudden he's like, okay, now I'm a different person around you because you might be one of them, you know? And he yeah. takes such, such glee and satisfaction in, in killing them and destroying them. And there's like many times in the movie where he's like that, like there's that bit where the vampires, one of the vampires is being dragged uh, by the cable and Jack is like on top of them with a pistol. And he's like, Shooting them in the face repeatedly with the pistol and screaming at the same time, <laughs> and and then they get dragged out into the sunlight. And the other guy throws him the stake, and he jams the the stake into the thing, and it catches on fire. And he's doesn't even care about his own safety for a few seconds. That that he's like on on top of this burning, you know, vampire. Right. And he's just like he's just like God,
3: you piece of shit, you fucking to die, God. You know, he's just like. <laughs> like
2: even with at the end when Valak is, is finally, you know, on his way out. um, Yeah. James, what's, he's like, die, die. You know, he yeah.
1: just, he's,
2: he, his contempt is just palpable through the whole movie. So yes, that's why he, he doesn't care what form you're in. If you're a child, if you're an adult, if you're male, if you're female, if you're fat, skinny, black, white, he doesn't care if you got bit, that's it. We, we destroy you.
0: Right. Right.
2: A- and that's, that's, you know,
0: that's the crux of what you're saying. Yeah, that,
2: I'm sorry, I get trailed off and but yeah, that that's why he behaved that way. That it's it's not. And then you know, Scott was trying to psychoanalyze John Carpenter as a director, and like, oh, why he put that in there? And I'm like, I don't give a shit, really. You know, if a director's trying to send political messages through a vampire movie, then that's on him because I'm paying attention to the story. So.
0: Right. But right. I,
2: I don't even believe that. I've seen tons of John Carpenter movies, and I don't think he does that shit on purpose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I said as much in the interview. And um, I will reiterate the fact that I did say that I completely disagreed with Scott about how, you know, these are white men killing indigenous people because they're not indigenous. They're vampires. They're monsters. Um, yeah. Scott did say that he felt maybe Carpenter should have made them look more like monsters, like Sherilyn Fenn. She should have had something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, Cheryl Lee. I kept calling her a Cheryl Lynn fan. Um, so I can, I can see that viewpoint as well. I yeah. think, you yeah. know, perhaps to someone just glancing at the movie, they might see it the way he presented it. Um, mm-hmm. Had she had fangs or pointed ears or red eyes or whatever, that might yeah. change the person on the outside looking in. But again, you can't judge a movie by 30 seconds of, of footage. Right, You know, you have to sit and watch it and understand the context of when it was released, what was acceptable back then. Like like fucking James Woods is smoking like a chimney through the whole thing. Yeah. You know, you can hardly show that anymore these days. Right. Um,
2: I kind of feel like there was this... I mean, I guess in all vampire movies, there's a certain... There's a little bit of like kind of doubt here and there. Like, is this person... You know, because sometimes vampires do look a lot like actual humans. And uh, I think James Woods just generally distrusted everybody, like Jack, Jack, Jack Crow. He just his default position was to not trust people. And, you know, I think because in his mind, he was like, there's always a chance that there might, you know, they might have a bite on them somewhere that I can't see. Or like he just wasn't very warm and, and open to anybody. So um Right. I don't know why I started talking about that in particular.
0: Well, and I I just wanted to point out too that I think I said this as well in the interview. Folks, we recorded this like a couple like three weeks ago or something. So some of it's yeah. a little fuzzy. I haven't edited it yet. It's actually the next one on my list. But um I, I put this in with, you know, one of James Woods' top performances. I'd say in the top five. Mm-hmm. I think it's um it's Equal to his performance in um the hard way with Michael J. Fox, except yes. that was some more of a comedic role, but he was a that similar so kind of character in that. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. He was almost like a parody of his of himself in that movie. Right.
0: Like, right.
2: Oh uh, such a great movie.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Do you think I'm stupid? No, I was hoping you were stupid, but no, I, I don't think
0: you're
2: stupid. Here's <laughs> some great lines. I I was trying to sort of meet him halfway and, and, and kind of understand where he was coming from. I was trying to relate to what he was. Oh, I had another thing I was going to say too. So I, I mentioned the whole thing about high Plains drifter and, and the rape and everything in that movie. And I was like, okay, that like, in that case, I can see, okay, they didn't really show the rape, but they sort of made it seem like he was doing it for revenge, but she liked it. And I think, you know, in some cases, there's that weird line between like, I don't know. Like some women, they want the guy to be more aggressive and other women, they don't want that. And there's this question. There's always seems to be this question about like, is she hating this or is she liking it? And and, I don't know. I think, I guess there's some, there's some movies where there are moments that, that, that seem a little questionable, but I don't think this one is one of them vampires. And Scott said that he's one of his favorite movies and he's watched it. What every Halloween, every year for the last like 20 years or something. He always has it on in the background. Yeah. And, and so I asked him, well, wait, you've, you've seen this movie so many times and and you love it. And I said, when, when did you start noticing this, this kind of stuff about the, you know, the, the racism and the misogyny or whatever. And he said, Oh, just this last time, this most recent time. And I was so blown, like I was, my mind was blown by that. I'm like, you've loved this movie your whole life. And now you're sort of like turning your back on it because a couple of people told you they didn't like, you know, that that they suggested that there might be some of these ideas, like they're interpreting it through this lens where there's misogyny and racism. And because you talked to them, you now have a critical eye on this movie that you've loved your whole life. And it's just like just whatever, man, like I I don't get that. Right. Applying, applying these moral standards and, and totally like wrecking your enjoyment of something that you have loved for a long time. I don't I don't get that.
0: Yeah. And that can go both ways. I've watched movies that I've hated and then watched them 20 years later and loved them. But it's it's not like I watched the movie I hated every year once a year you know yeah yeah
2: no right and i've done that too but that's that's more about that's more about like your ability to appreciate things in the movie that you didn't notice before or whatever instead of
0: right yeah yeah and i think his opinion was like you said it was informed by um a feminist who saw things in it that offended her yeah. And maybe didn't judge the film on its entire merit or when the movie came out. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the good thing about us, uh, you know, everybody being able to talk about movies is you can interpret it however you want. And yeah. everyone can yeah. have their own opinion on it. And, um, you know, it is what it is. You either just if you don't like it, don't watch it again, you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, well, Mike Hill, thank you so much for uh, coming on to give your counterpoint. I felt kind of bad when you couldn't actually participate when we yeah. were first talking about it. I
2: really wish I had been prepared the first time around because that so, would have been uh, an interesting it, conversation. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. I, I'm almost kind of glad that we're doing it this way because it could have been a knockdown drag out between the two of you.
2: It, it might have gotten ugly. Yeah. I would have
0: just yeah. gone, gotten up and gone and take a dump or something and then let you guys fight it out. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I was so close to being like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? You know, like... uh, James Woods has so
0: many great lines in this movie. You know, mahogany, ebony, major chubby. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And then the priest says it back to him later on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, When he's not expecting it.
0: Oh, my God. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Mike Hill. And obviously you're on some of our other uh, 13 Days of Hallowtober episodes that will be popping up. And um, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Bye. Okay, folks, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you for joining us for our special 2022 13 Days of Hallowtober event in which we're discussing vampire films this year. I just want to briefly remind you that we've got a live streaming monthly series called the Fright Lounge, in which we discuss all horror media for seasoned horror fans as well as those of you who don't know if you want to get into horror. We've also got a new podcast called the Cult Movie Lounge, in which award-winning blogger Robert Manel and I discuss all cult movies all the time. And here's of course our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti Western movies, all of which can be found at our website. Haven Podcasts, that's plural, havenpodcasts.com. And while you're at our website, be sure to click on our Patreon link and Tee Public link to help support the show. We've also got a YouTube page, so please go to youtube.com slash UncleDeath1 and subscribe to it. And don't forget to hit that little bell so you get notifications when we put out new episodes. And of course, we want your feedback. So please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group as well. Then Is Now podcast is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network. So please check out the other great shows there at thedorkeningpodcastnetwork.com. That's right, folks. And all of those links, like I said, they're on our website as well as in our show notes of every episode. And we are on all the podcasting apps. So if you like our show, please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review because that bumps us up the list in the algorithm and helps more people to find us. Thank you for joining us today. Class dismissed.
3: This Now Podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.